number of months ago, uh, World Magazine did a uh, lead article on Ron Greer. I know many of you read about him. He was a a black pastor uh, who was also a a full-time fireman, and he was fired from his job because of his belief that uh, homosexuality was a sin. And this past Thursday, I received a letter from his wife updating uh, the church on the situation, and I thought I'd read some excerpts uh, illustrating the spiritual battles that are going on around uh, this nation. Uh, Rosalind Greer writes, My husband, Pastor Ron Greer, is being attacked by pro-homosexual politicians and their radical allies. Not only is Ron a full-time pastor, he is also a full-time fireman in our hometown of Madison, Wisconsin. One day, a fellow fireman asked Ron what he thought about homosexuality. He asked Ron for a Bible tract that Ron had. Ron gave him the tract, which states that homosexuality is a sin, and that's when they came after Ron and our family. Madison's new fire chief, Deborah Amesqua, who is sympathetic to Madison's radical homosexuals, suspended Ron for two and a half months without pay. Mayor said that he was afraid the people would be, quote, infected by, unquote, Ron's views. Radical homosexuals from the hate group, the Lesbian Avengers, vandalized our home in the middle of the night, leaving pink triangles with graphic and vulgar homosexual references pasted to our walls and spread over our yard. Over 300 militant homosexuals held a near riot during an evening meeting at our church. From outside, they threw rocks at the church windows and chanted, Bring back the lions. Then more than 100 protesters swarmed into the church to disrupt our meeting. They swore and shouted taunts at the speakers and our parishioners, and they urinated on the church floor. For Ron's protection, police had to escort him out of our own church. And now, city, county, and even state politicians are demanding that Ron be fired from his job. They don't care that my husband has served as a fireman in Madison for more than 18 years. Ron has risked his life and battled through burning buildings to rescue people. He's hugged and comforted folks after they've seen their homes go up in flames or after they've lost a loved one to tragedy. The commission is now investigating Ron's, quote, crimes, and they will decide if my husband gets fired. Ron has already been through nine hearings in front of the Madison Police and Fire Commission, and it goes on, and asks for our prayers, and uh, we're going to be sending them some financial support because of the incredible legal battles that they've been going through there. But in case you think that cannot happen here in Omaha, it's already happening in various businesses where people are being harassed for their religious views, uh, where uh, businesses have already set the die in terms of what is and is not appropriate uh, viewpoints on homosexuality. Uh, our our mayor, when he came into office, um, uh, has sensed the political climate on this and has had not had the courage to really take a strong public stand. We need to be in prayer for him on uh, on this very area. But there is a spiritual battle that is brewing in our nation that we will not win if we do not engage in prayer. Uh, last week, I gave you a little bit of background at the beginning of the sermon. Um, Uh, of what happened in the two years between Daniel 9 and Daniel chapter 10. And there were incredible things that happened as a result of the intensive spiritual warfare that Daniel had engaged in uh, at the beginning of that chapter. Uh, We saw that Cyrus and uh, Darius became believers. We saw that Cyrus had gave a decree that any uh, Israelites, any Jews that wanted to return to their homeland uh, could do so. He gave a decree with regard to the building of the temple. And uh, 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 in Isaiah 44 and 45, it prophesies the building of the city there as well. Um, 
during uh, the previous administration under Belshazzar, uh, Daniel had lost all influence. Uh, but now Daniel had been elevated to the second highest position or the highest position under Darius uh, over that realm. And so there were absolutely incredible things that were happening. We saw in Daniel chapter 6, the decree went out that... Um, that all uh, the nations were commanded uh, by Darius to fear the God of, of Daniel. But there was a spiritual backlash during the, the previous two years as well. Satan was furious with Daniel for his role in uh, this spiritual warfare, and he tried to dig up dirt on him. You read it in, that, in Daniel 6 where the politicians were trying to dig up anything they could. They couldn't find anything, but they managed to concoct a way where Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And of course, God spared him there. Another setback was that Cyrus went abroad and Cambyses, his son, was ruling as, as regent during that time. And Cambyses was not uh, uh, very supportive of what was happening in Israel. In fact, in Ezra 3 and 4, it talks about these lawyers that were being hired and sent from the land of Canaan arguing before uh, Cambyses that it was not in the best interest of Persia to allow the temple to be built, to allow the, the walls of Jerusalem to be constructed. And so there was opposition. And Daniel realizes he is not just dealing with flesh and blood there. He realizes there are demonic forces that have been bringing all of this opposition, throwing up all the dirt that they can, seeking to wear out and discourage and to oppose and stop the work of God. And I think we make a huge, huge mistake when we look at people like Ron Greer or people like uh, McIlvaney and others who have had this kind of heated opposition and think that it's just physical opposition. There are principalities and there are powers out there that are moving this nation in that direction. But that also means we're not helpless. We are not hopeless. Uh, last week we saw that in spite of our weakness, we can be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Even though demons are far more powerful beings than we are, we saw that if we have humility before God, recognizing our weakness and depending upon the Lord, no pride but humility, uh, that if we have implicit faith in God's Word, if we grieve over sin, not only the sins of the nation, but our own sins, if we fast and if we pray, that we can have power over those principalities uh, that are out there. And uh, those five areas uh, we saw last week really illustrate the fact that our relationship with God is far more important in terms of our preparedness for battle than any other resources that we might talk about. Now today, I want to move on and I want to look at the invisible contestants to this battle because if you don't believe uh, in the literal existence of demons, uh, you're not even going to be uh, engaging in warfare at all. And there are many evangelicals who, if they... Uh, theoretically don't believe in it, in terms of actual practice, do not believe in it. Uh, I have a book on my shelf, it's a very famous book on missions written by an evangelical, uh, and he says that when Christ was uh, said to be casting out demons, that's just a metaphorical way of saying that he was casting out bad doctrine, casting out bad ideas. That is preposterous. You study through the Gospels and you can see there are actual beings who talk, actual beings that exist that were fallen angels. And this passage makes it very clear that these demons are just as real as the, the, the angels there. Verse 13 parallels the two. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. 
And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now, point by point, this evil being is treated as being just as objective as the good angels are, just as Michael, uh, uh, just as this, uh, this, actually, this is not Michael the archangel, he comes into the story later, but just as this angel has um, uh, uh, princes who are underneath him, and uh, Michael the archangel does as well, this wicked being is a prince over Persia, and he has invisible kings over Persia who work underneath him as well. Verse 21, it speaks, uh, not verse 21, verse 13 speaks of for 21 days, this angel being resisted by that prince of Persia. That's not just an idea out there. There is a being that was fighting against him. Um, to be left alone with the kings implies those kings are not just principles. These angels, these demonic angels, they talk, they fight, they travel, they unite together. And I want to just give some illust illustrations, some examples uh, to fill out what these points really mean. Your outline shows that demons resist the work of God. Uh, verse 13 that we just read shows uh, a demon who is resisting another angel, a, a, a good angel. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1, implies that there was resistance to Darius. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And if you know the story, we dealt with it a little bit last week in Daniel 6, you can see why he needed to be strengthened and supported by uh, this angel. Because those satraps were doing everything that they could to undermine the work of God. They hated Daniel. Now, you might wonder, why in the world would those satraps have such an irrational rage and hatred for Daniel? Daniel was such a good guy. Well, it's the same reason that people like Ron Greer are receiving opposition and resistance is because there are invisible beings that are influencing them in that direction. <clears throat> My parents helped to establish new stations in different parts of uh, Ethiopia, and they always found incredible demonic resistance when they went into those areas. And there's a number of stories that could be told, but on one occasion, my dad... Um, there was a witch doctor who was casting a spell on my dad. My dad didn't realize it, but he all of a sudden had an incredible pain in his side, was wondering if he would black out. And he looked over and he noticed this, this witch doctor that was um, casting a spell on him. He immediately went into spiritual warfare prayer and the pain disappeared. And the witch doctor who continued on seemed to be puzzled that nothing was working, and then he finally went on. There are many people who treat those types of things as just superstition. The reason people die or the reason people get sick is because they believe that the demon, uh, that those people have that power. Those things happen. Uh, when, those when those witch doctors uh, pronounce curses upon people, those curses, uh, uh, they were not successful with Christians, but those curses happened. Uh, people died, animals died, people got sick. Uh, there was a power that these people had. Now, there were times where my dad had such unrelenting attacks that, um, that uh, he was hardly able to deal with them. And one time my dad wrote, quote, some of Satan's attacks were so severe that I was in agony of soul, so much so that through two different attacks I had no rest nor sleep for six days and night. Throughout that time, he was constantly warding off the attacks of warfare. And by the way, that was... That was the station, Waka Station, where as a teenager I faced so many terrifying attacks from the demonic. It was not a pleasant experience. Some of my other memories of Ethiopia, very, very pleasant, but I was a young man who was not walking right with the Lord, and it was, it was an awful time uh, for me back then. But uh, 
Uh, in any case, we've known many people who've gone to the mission field and have had to come back because they were not prepared for spiritual battle. In fact, many of those people acted as if Christians can't be touched by, by Satan. And they're taking a, a passage in 1 John out of context. And they just felt like, there's nothing to worry about. I'm a Christian. And yet, coming under attack, they've had to come back from the mission field. Sometimes the resistance can take the form of disease. And if you don't think that demons can bring disease to Christians, read the first two chapters of Job, and I think you'll have a real eye-opener as to the kinds of things way beyond that that demons can bring, yes, into the lives of Christians. <clears throat> In Luke, when it says that Christ healed that woman who was bent over with some kind of an affliction, he said this, <clears throat> Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Satan had resisted God's work by afflicting this believing woman for 18 years with whatever that disease was. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says that his flesh was buffeted in some way by a messenger from Satan. And so Satan can resist believers. He can. Sometimes the resistance can be in the way of persecution. It's been happening uh, in intensive ways around the world today. It happened in Daniel. Revelation 2, verse 10 says, Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Now, yeah, there may have been physical people who put the manacles on them, but he says here it's really Satan. It was the devil who, who brought about that persecution. I have in my notes here, and I'm not going to take the time to go through it. If you want a copy, I can give you a copy after the service, but 16 different ways that the Scriptures say Satan, demons, bring resistance to believers in the lives of believers. <clears throat> They include things like uh, causing a slander to come against them, planting doubt in our minds, tempting us with pride, uh, causing us uh, believers to lie, like Ananias and Sapphira, bringing strife and discord into the church, uh, tempting with pride, promoting anger, stirring up uh, false teachers. Satan can resist us, and we need to be aware of his strategies. Uh, points uh, C through E of that, uh, that third major point, uh, these evil beings are said to fight in verse 20. And not to fight haphazardly, but it implies there's organization. There's a unity there. Um, uh, demons are said to leave one area and fight, go to fight in another area. Look at verse 20. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. See, with the coming that we, we outlined last week of Michael the archangel bringing his reinforcements to help this angel to break through, what happens is that the prince of Persia calls for reinforcements from the prince of Greece. This angel says, they're coming. That's why he's going back to battle again. They're coming. Reinforcements being brought from another area. One of the areas of Ethiopia that was uh, the most thoroughly evangelized was where my dad was uh, working for 10 years. It was Kambata province. And it was incredible the growth that had happened in that area within those 10 years. Just unbelievable how many people had come to Christ and how the, the churches had blossomed. But one of the things that my dad found puzzling is that many times when the demons spoke through these witch doctors, you know, they'd go into a trance and their eyes would roll back and another voice would speak through them. Many times these demons would speak about the need to leave Kambata and go to the Omo region. And sometimes when demons were cast out, they would say the, the same thing, that they're going to the Omo. And my dad was puzzled about that. <clears throat> but the next station my dad went to was in the Omo. And the amount of demonic resistance in that area had 
escalated incredibly uh, during those years. My dad said every seventh house was a witch doctor. He had never seen anywhere in Ethiopia that high a concentration uh, of witch doctors in that area. And uh, uh, one of the missionary couples, the first missionary couple that went in there uh, was just broken through the ministry and had to leave. Another young couple went in. They were destroyed and went out. My parents went in into that area to plant a Bible school, and that, that was the station I was telling you about that where, where, where there was so much harassment. Twice my dad was taken out on a stretcher. I remember one time that he was just white as a sheet, and I thought that was the last time I was going to see my dad. Uh, terrible, uh, terrible attacks that we were receiving. Uh, from the demonic in that area. Now, that's just to illustrate where demons will go from one area to, to, to bring resistance in another area. Um, and by the way, I've heard over the past 25 years many reports of uh, when demons have been cast out in China and, and in, um, uh, in, in Africa, demons saying that they're coming to America. Uh, I think there is a huge battle that is heating up in America, and I think it is a, a country that is key to Satan's plans. <coughs> but uh, anyway, these demons clearly have personality. They, they travel, they talk, they, they orchestrate things, they strategize, and they're doing everything that they can to oppose the work of God. Now, the encouraging thing is that angels, too, exist. And because Christians, uh, for the most part, believe in the existence of angels, I'm not going to belabor this point. But let me just highlight a few of the key features of this angel. In verse 5, it speaks of this angel having a form and being clothed. Now, it's true, there are some who say that uh, verses uh, 4 through 9 are describing a theophany. And that may, that may be, I don't believe that's the case, because verse 11, it just starts off saying, He said... Referring back to who? I believe it's referring back to that being. And it's clear in verses 11 through following, it is not a theophany there. It is clearly an angel that is being spoken of. But whatever interpretation you take, you find the same kind of power and effect that these, these angels have in the later verses. Uh, just undo Daniel. Uh, incredible power uh, that, uh, that they have. Now, almost universally in the Bible, when angels are presented... Uh, they bring fear into the lives of those who see them, unless they're camouflaged in some way. And there are many scriptures speak of angels being camouflaged, looking like, uh, looking like, um, uh, like men. And uh, maybe you've even experienced uh, the angelic in your life. I just was reading this past week of a missionary in Mexico who had been repairing his car. The car had broken down, and he was under there working on it, and the jack broke, and the car crushed him. He could feel his ribs snapping. And his friend was trying to lift it enough so he could scoot underneath. He was not able to lift the vehicle. And there was a small little Mexican that came running up, smiling, and just they lift, helped him lift. And it was just light as a feather, lifted it off, and he could feel his ribs coming back together and, and the pain gone. And the Mexican just trotted off and left. And uh, they are convinced that it was an angel that God sent to come and to minister into, into his life. Uh, we, we many times are skeptical, you know, when we hear things like that, but the scripture is presented as if we do have angels ministering to us. In Hebrews 13, verse 2, it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have un unwittingly entertained angels. And we need to ask ourselves, have we been so influenced by the secular scientific worldview that we never think about angels? 
uh, maybe we don't believe the angels working in our lives. The personality of this angel can be seen in that he speaks. He understands relationship and time. He touches Daniel. He travels. He fights. He ministers to Daniel. We must not be skeptical when it comes to the work of angels. Uh, they are real. They continue to be beings that you don't want to mess around with. In Matthew 18, verse 10, it says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels, referring to covenant children's angels, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. He doesn't just say, don't cause these little ones to stumble because God's going to get you. He says, don't cause these little ones to stumble because of their angels. We ought to be concerned about what angels think of us. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10, it says women should make sure that their hair is long as a symbol of being under authority. Why? Because of the angels. See, even on small things of what angels think about us and trivial things like that, he says, you need to be concerned of what they think. Let me read that verse. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, thinking of angels and those kinds of categories seems strange to you. It's probably just because our humanistic culture has so infected our thinking. Paul says there are angels in the worship services. There are angels present in this being, unseen to us, and no doubt they are wondering about the kind of worship that we offer us, wondering why we have so little heart for worship, so little prayer, so little uh, care about the things of God. You know, angels are real. They are part of our life, whether we acknowledge it or not. Now, let's look briefly at how this angel ministered to Daniel. Uh, first of all, verse 18, he brought comfort. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O oh man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Uh, like some other verses in this passage, it speaks about uh, the, uh, the, the comfort, uh, the, the strengthening, the, the, the healing work uh, of angels. And uh, there are many w different ways in which angels minister in the lives of believers. Did you know that Christ had to be ministered to by angels? A lot of people don't realize that, but it says exactly that. Mark 1.13 says that angels ministered to Christ during that whole 40, year, 40 days of, uh, of fasting and being tempted in the wilderness. In Luke 22.43, it says when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, quote, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Now, if Jesus, the perfect man, needed angels to strengthen him and to minister in his life, how much more so do we? You may not be aware of how these angels minister, but we need to be convinced they do so. Hebrews 1, why don't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. There are many people who are just skeptical of this. They think, yeah, that happened back then. I have no problem believing it happened in Bible days. But does it really happen today? This is the whole purpose of why angels were given. In verse 7, it speaks of them as being ministers or servants. But take a look at verse 14 to see who they are servants of. The word minister means to, to serve. Verse 14 of Hebrews 1 and verse 13 says the context is talking about angels. Verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? If you are one of God's elect, 
Angels have been ministering in your life in one way or another. Maybe you've not even realized it. Maybe you've been driving down a street and suddenly you had a fear of going down that direction. You didn't know why, but you went a different direction. It may have been to prevent an accident. Uh, I had somebody from Oakland uh, mention to me uh, several months ago that they had a narrow escape um, between two semis. He said, I don't know how I got between those. It didn't seem like there was room, but he felt that an angel somehow had, uh, had gotten him through that. Uh, maybe you've been stalked by a couple of people and all of a sudden they turn and walk the other way and you didn't know why. It may have been that they saw an angel. <clears throat> Uh, somebody, and I, this past week I was racking my mind trying to remember who it was here in Omaha, told me <coughs> about a, a young boy who had fallen out of an upper story uh, window and uh, the, the mother, frantic, ran down the flight of stairs. When she got there, the little boy was sitting on the steps and, and, and said, uh, a man dressed in white caught me. Uh, many different ways uh, that angels minister in our lives. My parents could tell you many stories of how angels intervened uh, with animals and in other situations. And I believe that's what's going on in chapter 11 and uh, verse 1. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. We can praise the Lord for the protection and the ministry of angels on our behalf. Now take a look at verse 13. Let's take a look at some of the way in which these angels, both the demonic and the elect angels, are organized into a, an organization or a structure, an angelic army. It speaks there of Michael, one of the chief princes. Now, if he's one of the chief princes, that implies that there are lesser princes, right? I mean, that's just a logical deduction. And if there are lesser princes, that implies that there are angels underneath those princes or there wouldn't be anything for them to be princes over. And so it speaks of a kind of a structure that is there. The same verse speaks of the prince of Persia having kings of Persia who are underneath him. There is organization, there is structure, there is not a haphazard approach to battle on either the demonic side or the angelic side. Uh, the church needs to be more organized, but the angels are very organized. But those same verses imply that both demons and angels contend for territories and regions. Chapter 11, verse 1 that we read imply that angels and demons contend for the lives of individuals. You know, the moment a Christian buys a home and he moves into a new area uh, where maybe there are no other Christians, there is immediate conflict that is set up. You may not have thought about this, but why would there be conflict set up? It is because God says that we have guardian angels. He says that he causes his angels to encamp around about those who fear him. And so when you're invading that stronghold of Satan, there are angels that are invading that same territory, angels that previously were not there. And so immediately there's going to be resistance. And it may explain why Christians, when they're buying a new home, strange things happen in that neighborhood. Um, it, it's, it's very important that we, when, when we go into a neighborhood, that we begin not just praying for protection of our home, but we begin claiming every home on that block for King Jesus, uh, asking for God's protection, that God would begin to bind the hand of Satan there. If there's another believer from another church, you know, that's in that neighborhood, get together in prayer, maybe form a house of prayer, because we are to be contending for territories. Not just contending for the lives of individuals when you cast out a demon. You've, you've contended successfully for that life. But we are to be contending for areas as well. 
Uh, it is my hope that the Metro Area Leaders Network of pastors from various churches, uh, that will, they'll be successful in organizing the systematic uh, moving into every territory with houses of prayer. There's been some talk about doing that. And, uh, and I think it is possible that we can come to the place where demons are no longer welcome. Demons can no longer have an influence over the lives of people, blinding people's eyes to the gospel. Let me read you a verse along those lines to show that this is possible. In Zechariah 13, it describes the progressive triumph of the gospel and it says this, I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. And verse 20 implies he's still got more prayers to do because there's, the demons aren't gone. There's continued uh, resistance. When you once grasp the relationship of our prayers to the, the, the spiritual battles that are going on in the heavenlies, it could revolutionize your prayer life. You'll see why having houses of prayer in various um, neighborhoods can totally revolutionize those neighborhoods. Dad Nilsson uh, lent me a book uh, I think it was a year or two ago, uh, and had me read another book uh, recently describing this ministry of, um, uh, of um, houses of prayer. And uh, since then, I've read about a number of different organizations that have been helping churches uh, to begin to do that, setting up houses of prayer uh, throughout a, a given city. Uh, let me just read you an example from uh, a flyer that Dad Nilsson lent to me, and it deals with a California apartment complex it's from this organization, uh, is it called Hope? Um, houses, houses of Prayer, something, I forget what the E stands, everywhere. Houses of Prayer everywhere, Hope. But anyway, it said this, crime was so high in these complexes that the police were often called in two to three times a day. Drugs were being dealt freely. Prostitutes were being solicited freely. Unemployment was high. Most of the families were broken. Many lacked even the basics. Someone began to change all that. It was God working through the prayers of his people. The church prayer walked the areas. And that's basically where you take uh, teams and you walk through and you claim all of the areas that you are walking by for King Jesus. You begin to bind the hand of Satan in those areas. You begin asking that God would plow up the field. He'd begin to make people fertile. So anyway, it, it says there that the church prayer walked the areas, planted houses of prayer, and reached out to the needy residents with Compassion Ministries. The eight houses of prayer met weekly in the complexes to pray for the residents and their needs. All of Knowles' pastor, Theron Freiburg, uh, reports that as a result of prayer and compassion ministries, managers of one complex, though initially resistive to houses of prayers, were so impressed that they provided a free room to be used as a chapel. One person from the complex got a job the day after he was released from prison. The manager at one of the complexes was converted. An out-of-control boy who was kicked out of school for unruliness turned into a hard-working, straight-A student. Drug dealers moved out. Crime rates went down. And they later said that it went down from two to three visits from the police every day to barely one visit every week, which is an incredible decrease in the crime rate there. Many people started going to church. Ten have made commitments to Jesus Christ. Another booklet uh, describing the same experiment said, crime was reduced and the quality of life was so dramatically improved that the police requested the church to plant prayer cells in other complexes where they were dealing with similar problems. In Brooklyn, New York, leaders of a house of prayer ministry have reported that prayers are reclaiming housing projects for Christ. Where crime has been rampant, intercessors are going head-to-head -head with forces of darkness and winning. Radical changes are occurring. See, there are battles to be won here in Omaha. 
And God intends us to win those battles. He doesn't intend us just to fight for no purpose. He intends us to win the battles. We do not want that phrase in verse 13 that we talked about last week where an angel is left all alone because there are no reinforcements, where he says, I was left alone uh, with the prince, uh, with the kings uh, of Persia. We don't want that to happen. We want every church in Omaha taking their, their, their conquest, their battle, a spiritual battle seriously. We want every home group doing that. We want every home taking seriously the invasion of the, the territory of Satan. Now, I'm going to have to just skip over some of this material that I think you can study for yourself uh, in the outline. And I want to end with this admonition that no battles will be won without prayer. It is a flat-out axiom of life. It doesn't matter whether you are praying for the sustaining of a Christian government in Zambia or for the restoration of such a government here in America. It doesn't matter whether you're praying about hostages being freed in South America or persecution being stayed in other countries. You have not because you ask not. We must battle in prayer. And uh, uh, there are so many points, you know, that we could cover. I, I just think we're going to, to skip those. But I do want to end on a positive note. Daniel chapter 6, if you turn there with me, to see the results of Daniel's prayer. Remember, the second half of the book fits into the stories of the first half of the book. And uh, this is during the reign of Darius that this takes place. But Daniel 6, verses 25... Uh, through 28 is the end result after he gets out of the, the lion's den. Then King Darius wrote, this is verse 25, then King Darius wrote, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. If you study in Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll see even more far-reaching effects that happened later on. Do not give up on America. We've not even begun to battle. We can't say it's impossible when we've not even begun to battle in a united way as we ought. And it's true. There are many things that seem like they are impossible on a human plane. But we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're wrestling with principalities, and there very well may be a prince of America, some demonic being who is in charge of all of the demons here in America that's in Washington, D.C., affecting those who are there. There very well may be thick, thick forces of the demonic uh, in that capital city and in other capital key strategic areas. But what I want you to realize is greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God has called us to battle and he has called us to win. We need not fear the others. If we are in right relationship to God, there is no one who can destroy us. And I charge you before God and before the angels who are present in this place to be valiant in battle. I charge you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Uh, we need to be invading every neighborhood in Omaha. Our homes need to be like squads going out into the fr fr front reaches of the battlefield, claiming those areas for King Jesus. And it's my prayer that as we begin prayer walking, as we begin to do some of the aggressive outreach, that God would prosper the work of Trinity in His own time. Amen.